how do we become our best and live a life of meaning and purpose? In a world where the constant focus is on fixing what's wrong with us, we want to highlight what is right and good about you to help you live out your best every day. Hi, I'm Eloise Wellings. And I'm Rory Darkins. And this is What's Right Within. Hello, and thanks for joining us again on this episode of What's Right Within, audience Q&A. So our second audience Q&A, it's that time of the, not month, it's that time. (laughs) (laughs) So a little backstory you may have seen on our social media, but um, when we were announcing that this episode was coming up, I did make the mistake of saying, it's that time for the month. <laughs> time for audience Q&A. I've never seen you go so red. I was very embarrassed. Um, but it is time now for audience Q&A. And we've had some really interesting and um, challenging questions come in. Um, and as I'm sure you're aware by now, if you've been listening to the podcast, um, so much of, of this podcast is really about helping you to explore your own potential and to build your well-being along the way. So Eloise, I think the first question would be great for you, which is when good things happen, I find I stop myself from feeling too good. How can I improve this? Oh, I've had this before. Yeah. <laughs> Familiar feels. This is, this is joy for voting, isn't it? It's that a is, psychologically psychological term. That is, that is the psychological term, joy for voting. Joy for voting. Tell us about that for you. Has this happened? Yeah, it has. Um, for me, it has come about when, I mean, I have, I've had obviously a bunch of injuries in my running career and um, really challenging times getting through those injuries. And I've found in part times of my career that I've come back from those injuries and things have started to go really well. Um, I start to almost fear that, things are going too well Mm. and I start to think this is too good to be true um you know when I I start to almost expect that something's about to break or something's about to go wrong because it has before Mm. and I start to kind of live in my past and allow my history to define me my injury history um and you know my disappointment history and and I've allowed it to define me. And I think that I, I can remember um, getting ready for the London Olympics 2012. And obviously, obviously, I missed out on the three previous Olympics through injury up until that point. And I was like, I'd wake up every day and have to make a decision to enjoy where I was right now. Mm. And I think that that's... Um, it's really good that you've asked that question because it it means that you're aware that it's a thing. And I think just calling it out for what it is when you start to think, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm basically you're fearing success Mm. and you know, no one should fear success. Success Mm. is good. Um, So yeah, I think calling it out for what it is and going, yeah, I've, you know, told myself that story before and, you know, but, things are going really well. I think for me too, I, I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down about mm. why things were going well and, um, 
and what things were going well and the fact that I was training great and I was stronger than ever and you know I trained for 20 years for this moment and just to enjoy um, enjoy this moment and enjoy the lead up to the London Olympics and it really helped me to let that go let that fear go of you know what could possibly go wrong and I mean things aren't always going to be great like mm. things are things will go wrong you go through seasons of like really really smooth sailing and then you come up against um challenging times but that's that's kind of what makes us who we are mm. um, but i don't think we need to fear those times but yeah i can totally resonate with that yeah it's and you called it out beautifully at the start you know joyful boating which which means you know like you're um, short circuiting the joy like you know and and that's it's a one strategy that our brain uses to try to keep us safe from threats right so it's trying to you know the the default mode of the brain is is about survival and it's about looking for threats primarily you know and so when you start to feel feel really good like things are going well and and you kind of have that really open joyful feeling that part of your brain is kind of like, hold on, do I need to be vigilant here? Like, mm. is there, is there something I'm missing? Is this, what am I not seeing? Like, and it's almost like it raises the stakes of like, Hey, there's more to lose now that things are going so well. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't like that. Mm. And, but just knowing that, you know, that that's just a part of the brain that we all have, you know, that's doing a job and keeping us safe. But, calling it out for what it is and saying no no like actually i'm i'm in a good place things are going well i'm gonna fully be here and allow myself to feel feel all that comes with you know what's going well at the moment knowing that you know when things when things change or you and challenges um you experience challenges again or, or things don't go right that you're actually going to be better prepared to navigate them having had those experiences of being um, fully present and embracing, you know, the joy and, and the good, the good things when they're there. So, um, yeah, call it out for what it is. Yeah, I think I think it's just a result too of having challenging times in the past and having disappointing times. So I'd imagine it would happen heaps in relationships. Like mm. if you had a, a breakup or whatever, your next relationship would be it'd be really hard to kind of let go and. Um, and, but I mean, that's what it's been like in sport or in running for me. It's like just being really, um, I guess, yeah, like you say, like just be really present and being able to be free enough to let go of your grip on it and mm. go, things are going great and let's just enjoy this for what it is and, and keep going, keep moving forward. Yeah. And like there's such a, this is where vulnerability is so important, you know, and, and having a, a good handle on what vulnerability is and why it's so important to well-being because it's vulnerable to feel really good mm. you know like yeah. there's actually a vulnerability and so because you're letting your guard down yeah. you know like and and that's sort of what i was getting at before about the survival sort of part of the brain versus you know the um, versus our ability to be fully present and be fully um to fully feel what we're feeling when it's good you know um and so it actually does take vulnerability to deeply connect and to, um, to be, yeah, to be fully open and, and to express that joy in the moments when, you know, when that, when it's available, you know, when it's there. Um, 
and it's it's like allow yourself to do that and i think the best examples of this are, are kids like you look at young kids when they're just playing like yeah. they're not there's no they haven't almost like developed that <laughs> the joy of foreboding you know they're just able to fully like belly laugh and yeah and just be so immersed in the present and so um open to you know all that is there in that moment and and we can we almost kind of like we need to relearn that mm -hmm. you know and and it's a vulnerability thing it's allowing ourselves to to be um to be in those those situations and just let go a little you know yeah yeah it's good it's actually a pretty um interesting segue into our next question um which maybe we'll both have a crack at answering but um how do i not let fear stop me from doing what i want to do mm. i think i think we all resonate with this one you know it's kind of it's so related to what we were just saying about vulnerability and um and joyful voting but you know that fear serves i think the first thing is fear serves a purpose it gets us to pay attention to potential danger and threat mm. um and it's it's an important part of that sort of hardwired into us and and it helps us to be safe and to be vigilant and to survive but um often the things that we want the most in life or that we value the most to bring the most fear and so in many ways it's it's getting clear on what what courage really is and you know courage is not the absence of fear it's not being fearless you know, I think the term fearless can be um, misconstrued because, you know, to, to really live courageously and to express who you are in the world and to, to really move towards what matters most to you, like fear is going to be a part of that journey. And when you view it as um, a signal of almost what's important to you, then, you know, true courage is fear walking, you know, it's, it's moving toward, um, those things in the presence of fear and not being deterred by it um mm. because you know, stress occurs when something that matters to you is at stake and you know and and so that feeling of oh i don't know about like I, i'm i feel afraid or i feel like um i feel uneasy about what could happen what could go wrong like so often that's a signal of the direction we need to move in mm. um and we, we say this a lot in, in schools and that when we talk at the moment that the majority of the, because our brain is looking for threats a lot of the time and getting us to pay attention to them and um, helping, to us, helping us to avoid them. Like a long time ago, those threats were really physical things, you know, like you say, the tooth tiger in the bushes type thing. Um, but nowadays, most of the threats it's, it finds are emotional ones. You know, it's, it finds things like, oh, what might, what might that person think of me if, if I'm seen to try and fail? Or mm. what, you know, um, it's so much about, you know, the emotional risks that we, you know, that we feel. Um, and so that's why a lot of the time moving towards your fears is a good idea because they're usually the direction of things that are important to you, not the direction of, of um, real physical danger, of course. So I guess it's, it's 
knowing the difference between actually what's important to me about this and acting based on what's important to you, knowing that that may bring some fear with it because it is important to you, um, as opposed to avoiding what's important to you because fear is present. Mm. What's that's sort of my take from the sciencey side, but Eloise, what's your take on, you know, how have you faced your own fears, you know, like competing on the world stage must be pretty scary. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I probably resonate with this question more in terms of probably continuing to do what I, what I love to do, but being fearing, being disappointed again. Mm. Um, and fear of kind of opening yourself up to disappointment, opening yourself up to injury and um, and setbacks and and for you know some of my especially my in my early twenties fear of what other people think, mm. um, which is a massive one. And I don't know how did I get through that. I guess you just get I just got older and wiser and realize that it's really about me just um, doing what I love to do and showing up the best way that I can and um, forgetting about or letting go, I guess, of, of what other people might think of that or, you know, how, it, how other people might perceive me and, um, yeah, just continuing to just try and use what I've got to, um, yeah, to do my best. Mm. And I think that that idea of, you know, using what you've got to do your best. And, you know, I know with you, it's sort of to make a difference through that as well. I think when you have, when you connect what you're doing, like the why behind what you're doing Mm. (laughs) towards, um, you're able to, it's easier to move forward in the face of fear Mm. because it's about more than just, you you know like you're if you know that you know you're making a difference if you you know if you're doing things that make a positive difference to um the people in the world around you then that helps you to persevere Mm. and so just reconnecting with like why is this important to Mm. me and and other people you know what's what's the good in this then that'll help you to keep moving in in the presence of fear which as we say is the definition of courage and also requires you know vulnerability and courage are like two sides of the same coin because the definition of vulnerability is like uncertainty and risk Mm. and you know you could throw emotional exposure in there you know, these days a lot. So it's uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. That's what vulnerability means. And it's like, as Brene Brown always says, like there's no act of courage that doesn't require vulnerable, uh, doesn't require vulnerability because any act of courage includes uncertainty, risk, emotional exposure, you know, and, and all those things. So they are two sides of the same coin and, and recognizing that, uh, what's most important to us in life is going to bring uh bring some uncertainty and and risk and and fear with it it's like you know move keep moving toward that in the presence of it and you know you'll be doing great things in the world Mm. it doesn't go away i don't think (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately all right eloise how to best recover from physical and life stress so I want to add a little piece to this question. Yeah. How do you recover? Like training, racing, 
being a high performance athlete, that obviously is stress, right? And I think when we ask this sort of question, it's important to define the fact that like all stress impacts the same system, like yep. whether it's a physical stress, whether it's an emotional stress, uh, you know, uh, a, any, any kind of life stress, like it impacts our same system. And so how do you go about getting that stress recovery balance right and, and, um, yeah, and recovering from the various stresses that come with pursuing your potential? Yeah, I think there's a number of ways. Um, for me, it's about, I mean, nutrition is really important. Um, just making sure that I'm getting enough of the right energy in food and uh, sleep also massively important. Um, this is a little hard with an 11 month old, a teething 11 month old, but I mean, we, we work around that too. If, if Sonny's had a really bad night, um, then I just know that I need to have a nap in the day, like in between training sessions. And so, um, I guess just getting really good at listening to your body or yeah, that's tried to get really good at listening to my body and, um, you know, when I need to have a nap and, uh, the, one of the other things too is just generally like ice bathing physically. Like mm. if we're if we're talking, um, you know, muscular sort of recovery, ice bathing and um, stretching, massage, mm. physio, uh, all those things that come into being able to run 140 k's a week in yeah. the first place, but. Yeah, I mean, and then life stress. I mean, last week we took a holiday to Port Macquarie and it was our first holiday in um, 18 months, I want to say, maybe two years, 18 months. Um, And it was amazing just being able to be away from home. So I think like changing the scenery is really important for us, Mm. changing the scenery and having no plans throughout the day except I mean I still trained and trained really well um when I was away but it was a different type of training different type of stress and it didn't seem as hard because I didn't have all of the other things that I would normally have on at home didn't have a super busy schedule so yeah just being able to get away to a different place was really important Mm. to kind of rejuvenate and refresh and i feel like we realize that we need to do that way more often than we do yeah um this year has obviously been a little tricky for that you know to go away anywhere but yeah i think that that's um super important to just change the scenery and not have too much on your schedule for even just a couple of days Mm. Yeah, that's and that's been especially hard this year, as you say. And I think with so many people working from home and, and even many students, you know, studying and and from home as well, the boundaries have been a bit blurred. Yeah, um, they have. Like, what's your experience of that been? Yeah, well, I mean, I've spoken to so many people that are working from home and the, the conversation is so much around the fact that they always feel like they have to be switched on mm. and, you know, like they, they're at home and they're having Zoom meetings at home. So almost like your, your work environment is coming into your lounge room or your, you know, your home office or your kitchen or wherever you are in your home and you don't 
ever. You don't have that space anymore between work life mm. and home life. And I feel like that that's, you know, that can create real issues, I guess, in terms of stress. So yeah, that was for us getting away and getting a change of scenery was really important. Mm. Um, but yeah, what, what would you advise in terms of, you know, lots and lots of people working from home now as a long-term option, but also there's this recognition of, hang on a sec, I'm like, there's no space here now. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's such a, a big, a big one. Um, I think just a few, a few points. One is um, you alluded to with those, those kind of boundaries in space, you know, mm. for example, you know, you touched on the importance of sleep for recovery, right? And so one of the key elements of sleep hygiene is associating your bedroom with sleep, not work, right? Sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene. It's a thing. I've not heard of that Google, before. If I'm you like... Google sleep hygiene, there'll be a whole list of great tips, but it really talks about... Sounds like, like washing your sheets. Well, we should think of it like that. <laughs> you know, we, should, we should think of it like um, the environment... Like if our environment has such a big influence on how we think and how we feel and that applies to sleep too, because, you know, like our brain gets in into like habits and patterns around when it should release certain um, hormones and, and things to help us either be on or to wind down. And if you're working in your bedroom or if you're, if your brain starts to associate your bedroom, you know, with, having you know having to be vigilant and kind of like doing work and all of that that actually gets in the way of um good quality sleep mm. and so having those those sort of boundaries around in your environment in your house you know say hey here's my workspace and this is my um wind down space of my you know like and, and kind of being disciplined with that is one thing that can be important um getting outside you know as as, as basic as that may sound you know particularly you know, our, our whole, like we're kind of wired to be out in nature, you know, like our sleep rhythms are so influenced by when we, when we're exposed to light. So being exposed to light early in the morning helps keep the circadian rhythm, um, within, you know, the working right for the, the part of the world that you're in. And that's how, you know, people can actually have, like, there's such a thing as jet lag, without having gone anywhere and that's really when we kind of our like um biological clock goes out of whack because of the light exposure and you know that we we're getting in our environment so if we're getting heaps of artificial light late at night we're not getting morning sun and you know then that can actually have the same effect as jet lag Mm. so just being really disciplined about you know space and and um your your schedule i guess so that you you know you are you're able to have those times when you wind down um and a a particularly important one i think is transitions you know like transitioning between different parts of the day or different activities you know the transition out of work and into um you know your evening or the transition from um you know whether it's working to parenting or you know like those transitions of real opportunities to just quickly reset mm. and, you know, take, 
it was probably a lot easier when we were going out to a certain space to work. And then on the way home, there's like that wind down time. Yeah. I remember you telling me like early on, especially right after Johnny and I had Sunny, it was so much that, that was so um, important for me to be able to go to training and, be able to make that transition from home life to training and then back to family life from mm. training so that you create, um, I know we're, we're all wearing so many different hats and the ability to kind of take one hat off and put another one on um, is really important to being present with people in the moment and, mm. and giving your best to a certain moment and situation. And so that was, um, that was really helpful for me, that mm. transitioning and just being aware of that. Um, yeah. Well, in practical terms, all that really is, is taking it, you know, call it five breaths, right? Like take, taking five breaths, nice and slow through your nose, ideally. Um, and just allowing yourself to pause in those, in those breaths and say, and just ask yourself the question, like, who do I want to be and what I'm about to go into next, you know? Like, and the answer will be quite obvious, mm. you know, to you it will be, you know, when you're coming into training and you're sitting in the car, you're about to go to the session, you know, the answer is always the athlete, you know, and, and the mindset and the sort of ways of thinking and being that come with that. Mm-hmm. But when you get home, you know, and you're about to go and feed Sunny, you know, it's a totally different answer. And, and just having those, like, like I say, five breaths and I just pulled that number out of nowhere. There's no, like, just a couple of breaths, whatever you can do. Um, But just to pause and think, you know, reset and think, who do I want to be here? Um, Doing that multiple times a day as you transition between, you know, um, roles or or activities can add up to being really helpful in terms of not carrying, you know, not carrying stress from one thing into the next thing. so there's a whole lot more we could talk about in terms of recovery and, and stress, but I think we should cap it there for now and, yep. uh, and go to our next question. Rory, it's been World Mental Health Day this week and everybody living on the face of the planet has faced some sort of challenge this year. I think you'd agree. How, what are three, I know you love hacks. <laughs> he doesn't, guys. He hates hacks. He hates three keys or five keys to anything. Um, but for the sake of the person running their last mile whilst they're listening to this podcast, uh, what are three things each of our listeners can do now to help improve their mental health? Yeah. Three things. Thanks. Thanks for putting me on the spot with my favorite, um, (laughs) my favorite, not favorite. Like there's no, there's no like little hacks that you know apply to everyone or like you know this stuff is so personal and you know we're talking about mental health like Mm. it's about understanding yourself and and learning what works for you you know not thinking that there's three secrets out there that uh, someone can tell you that will make all the difference so everything I'm about to say I kind of want to say just after acknowledging the fact that it's about you learning what works for you and and really um you know, being in the driver's seat of your own well-being and and um, connecting with yourself to to really kind of go with what you feel is right for you. So, a couple of pillars, perhaps. Um, the basics really are move well, 
exercise, you know, get into a physical activity routine, balance activities so that you, um, you know, you're challenging yourself regularly, but you're also recovering really well. Like we talked about bringing social relationships into as, into as much of that as you can. So, you know, if we've got physical exercise, we've got um, social engagement and really just connecting with other people and, and going beneath the surface and, and really kind of connecting um, genuinely and, and uh, more deeply with, with other people. I think we may have mentioned this in our wellbeing episode, but you know, one of the best things we can do for our own wellbeing is to give social, social support. So check in on the people that, um, that are in your life and, you know, that you care about and, you know, it's, it's not a one-way street. It's reciprocal, right? Check in on them and, and kind of just create a, com- a two-way conversation to, you know, to help each other and to really catch up on where you're at and, and, and you know, be a little vulnerable in that. Um, so we've got physical exercise. We've got, you know, the, the relational piece there. Um, another one, I think it's just, this is why I don't like threes because it's like you've got to leave so much stuff <laughs> off. <laughs> you can have seven. You can have as many as you like. Like Dr. Ross, oh, like yeah, the like five, the fives and the sevens. No, um, if I was going to go a third, I would say start like write down three good things that happened today and why they happened and do that for a week. Right. And the reason I say that is because this is one of the most well-researched um, practices and people who have done this improve their well-being and improved, um, uh, like they stabilize depression within a week. Like you know, as in it, um, it it had an effect, a positive effect on on you know depression and within the space of a week. And those effects tend to hold for a long time. Like in six month follow ups, people who have done this exercise were better off than um, than the control group. So. It's as sim- it sounds so simple. Eh? It's literally write down three good things that happened and why they happened and it, um, or, or why they're important. And so this exercise, what it does is it, they, they talk about it as becoming a researcher of good. So it's like you start to, by reflecting on your day and noticing the good things that have happened, you then start to expect them after a little while. And so you're basically training your brain to notice and expect good things to happen. So you're almost trying, well, you're almost counteracting joy foreboding. Correct. Yeah, it's exactly right. And that's why we need to train it because the default mode of the brain, as we said earlier, is focused on threats. And and that's why we, you know, we, we, it's easy for us to dwell on the negatives. It's easy for us to notice what didn't go well. Mm. And we, we really do need to train the circuits in our brain to also balance that out by noticing what does go well and to, and to really amplify those things and becoming, you know, training that makes you, you know, you just become more, you start to notice that you expect good things to happen. You start looking for them and it can be like almost the smaller things, the better. Mm. Um, but just do that for a week. It's my challenge to you. If you don't take like anything, it. anything from those three keys, uh, <laughs> do that, write down three good things that happen each day and why for a week. And um, would love to hear any observations you have with that. And what are your three things for today? For so today? Far? 
three good things today. Well, we had a good run and we finished with a jump in the ocean, which was a great thing. And the reason that was good is because I got to do what I love with other people and, um, it's important to me. So that was, that was great. I called in for a coffee on the way here and you were eight minutes late. I was eight minutes late, but it was so worth it because (laughs) the coffee shop still makes better coffee than I do at home. And so I gave myself a little treat and that was important because I really enjoyed it. And so there was enjoyment (laughs) in that. Um, and the third good thing for today is, you know, having you back and being able to do these podcasts again, you know, we had a week, we had a week off of you being away. We did. Um, But it's it's just great to re-engage and and talk about um, things that we're so passionate about and, um, and to, you know, to feel like we're able to do, do work that really matters to us. So those are mine for today. And it's as simple as that. It's good. Like Um, it. How to incorporate breathing into daily life without having to sit down for 20 minutes but still feel after the session, like I sat down to do the breathing. (laughs) So this is cool. I want to kind of expand on this question because I think it's it's not really just breathing, right? It's like any practice. So people often talk about, um, you know, like the benefits of meditation as well and and like mindfulness and um, breathing, you know, breathing's a, a particularly powerful practice. There's various practices that come with it, but, the challenge for a lot of people is is to kind of find the time to do all these things, you know, like, oh, I've got to do my 20 find minutes. Find time of, to breathe. I've got, to, I've got to do my 20 minutes of breathing. I've got to do my 10-minute meditation and then do my 30 minutes of stretching. And you know what I mean? Like, um, and we're so, I think you and I agree on this, Eloise, that like we're so, it's about creating like, bringing the stuff into your life, you know, rather than like trying to always find more time for things. So that's why I love this question. Like it's how do I integrate this into my activities rather than um, feel like I need to carve out more time. Um, So first thing for me on breathing, it's a very passionate subject of mine. Um, We take about 21 to 25,000 breaths a day. And the quality of those breaths that we take throughout the day is, in my opinion, from, from the research that I've seen and done, more important than the breaths that we take in a breathing practice for, you know, um, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And, it, and it's not that you shouldn't do the breathing practice. I think it's hugely important um, to, to have those practices. But... It's, it's really acknowledging the fact that, well, if we're going to take 25,000 breaths a day, what are the quality of the 24,900 of them? And so what makes a good breath? <laughs> Breathing through your nose rather than your mouth and, you know, as, as one f- component. And so just noticing when, when are you breathing through your nose versus when you're breathing through your mouth. And when you're driving, you know, you're driving the car, are you, mouth shut or mouth open and when you're when you start to feel when you're doing work on the computer say like is your mouth open or closed you know it's just bringing awareness to how you're currently breathing okay so why is breathing through your nose so much more effective than breathing through your mouth um so this will take about three episodes to cover (laughs) (laughs) the short answer in 30 seconds or less the, the short answer is it's made for it 
Um, the, tw the other 25 seconds of that answer is that when you breathe air through your nose, your nose, it's warmed, like it's, the air is, is warmed, it's like humidified, and it's filtered. So it, the filtering means that it basically purifies the air before it reaches your lungs, which helps protect you against, um, it has antiviral properties and things like that. And there's also a gas called nitric oxide, which is released when you breathe through your nose. And this is really important for dilating the, um, dilating the airways so that we can have a better exchange of oxygen. And so those are a couple of little things like there's heaps more to it, but, um, it's really, you end up with a better quality of, of air and a better gas exchange. And it, I think the other really important thing is it stops you from over breathing. So when we breathe through our mouth, we tend to breathe too much. And what that means is we, we let go of too much carbon dioxide by breathing out too much of it because it's quite a, you know, when your mouth's open, you can move a lot of air quickly. And by breathing out too much carbon dioxide, we actually aren't able to efficiently use oxygen and get it to the working muscles and the organs and the places it needs to go. And so our breathing becomes less efficient, basically, if we're breathing through our mouth. And having, whereas through our nose, it's more efficient. We get better oxygen exchange and oxygen delivery, which in practical terms means that this, our whole body system functions better. Mm -hmm. And that includes our brain. Like, you know, it includes how we, how we think and how we feel. So we can, maybe we'll do a full episode on, on, um, on all of this sometime soon, but you know, that's why the nose on is the really nose. important on the nose, nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> so through your nose and nice and low. So, you know, if you put two hands, if you put one hand on your stomach, one hand on your chest and you just breathe normally, just notice which hand moves the most. Your bottom hand should be moving first and moving the most, meaning that you're using your diaphragm more effectively than if you're just using your shoulders and your like neck muscles to breathe. So those are two little things like through your nose and then and do that um, little test with your hands to just notice where you're breathing from. And if you bring... So if you bring nose breathing and nice low breathing into um, your daily activities, like when you're sitting, working, when you're in the car, you don't put your hands on your chest and stomach like that when you're driving the car. <laughs> do not do that. Um, but just bringing that awareness to like, how am I breathing right now? Um, that will bring more benefit than carving out time for the 20 minutes, um, in my opinion. Yeah, great. It's just doing my nasal breathing officer. <laughs> <laughs> and then like from there, you can bring it into like into exercise. And, you know, when you're walking down the street, like, you know, can you, can you keep breathing through your nose at, at higher levels of intensity? You know, when your heart rate's getting up higher and higher and that, that's really um, where you can start to train it. So the, sh the, the summary of that very long winded answer um, around, around breathing is, you know, just, bring awareness to it and you know the more you can breathe low and slow through your nose and everyday activities the better good how do you stay so composed in difficult situations this for me or you <laughs> this is just the question this you know? is the question this is the question so what do you do when i've felt 
like I'm under pressure. Yeah, like difficult like a, situations. Like a difficult situation. Um, I just come back to the moment and the next thing that I need to do. So I've just come back to the process of what is the next step that I need to take to get a result mm-hmm. or to get whatever I'm working on done um, or move forward or whatever. Um, and if I just focus on that next step, that seems to bring a sense of calm, a sense of peace and um, a, a, just a sense of focus, mm. I guess, so that, you know, there might be a hundred other steps ahead or 10,000 other steps ahead and, you know, you don't know what they're going to look like and it's unfamiliar and uncertain but if you know the very next step and you just focus on that one, mm. I think that's so powerful. Um, and it, it's actually helped me get through um, many things, not just in running, but in, you know, in life, in difficult situations in life. You're so right about focusing on the process and the next step, mm. like high performance or true connection or basically anything good in life only happens when you're deeply present in the moment. Mm. Like you have to be fully in the moment you're in in order to have the best chance. Yeah. And, and that's where your potential can kind of be expressed or revealed. And that's where, um, you know, glimpses of excellence can happen and, and great things can happen. And it's like, so the skill is, to trust in yourself so that you can stay present in a difficult situation. Mm. And that can be a difficult conversation. That can be an uncertain situation. It can be a performance setting. It's like, keep coming back to this moment right now. And where does your attention need to go in the moment? What are you, what are you paying attention to? What are, you know, how can you, how can you best show up to that moment? And do that on repeat mm. because the present moment really is all there is. Yeah. And it's the place where, you know, when we're on time in the present moment, like we're actually in it when it, when it arrives, mm. then we've got a, a chance of things working out really well and, and having a great experience. So the, one of the, one of the things I love watching in, in this example is watching the tennis um, because it's so obvious to me when watching that game, that when athletes are focused on the next point and and just the next point and if especially if they're behind and they've got you know they've got a bit of catch up to do and feeling the pressure and if they just focus on the very next point and then the next point and then the next point like it's it's really obvious when an athlete as a tennis player starts to have a you know, starts to kind of un- unravel in their mind and start to think too far ahead. And I, I, I see that and I just, I love it. It's so inspiring to me um, watching the tennis. I think that that's one of the, one of the great sports that we can watch when you can actually see um, that whole notion of staying in the process and in the moment um, play out. Mm, absolutely. And cause you, you can get into flow if you stay, deeply focused in the present Mm. long enough Mm. and there's no room for self-critique or you know beating yourself up or um 
worrying about what just happened or complaining about what someone did like there's no there's no space for that if you are to be fully present in the moment and that's what enables you know a flow state to to have a chance of of happening and so on the composed part of the question though like because that we talked about being present and and kind of um just keep coming back to this moment and putting your attention in the right direction um focusing on the process that you you know that's best for you in any given moment the composed part is the 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 most efficient way to take control of your level of composure is with your breath. So it's almost coming using those, those things to come to the present moment, like, you know, using your breathing, controlling your breathing as in um, slowing it down slightly. If, if it's a stressful, if you're, you're over kind of activated or, you know, your feel your state kind of um, becoming, too activated and you want to kind of stay composed it's like use your breath with slow make your exhale slightly longer than your inhale and breathing nice and low into your stomach if the situation allows so it's like you know from you imagine your um your your stomach is actually kind of expanding outwards as you breathe in what situation wouldn't allow that well like if, if you're, you're running tight jeans <laughs> well like if you're running you're <laughs> good point that too so yeah anyway uh if you're like in the middle of a game sometimes there's no there's not time for this but if you're kind of going into a situation that's difficult or you need to create some space for yourself then um yeah slowing your exhale breathing fully and expanding your stomach as you do it um that can help you to actually wind your state back to be more composed and then if you want to add another layer to that, it's like taking control of your self-talk. What, mm. is, what are you saying to yourself in those moments? Are you focused on judging and what could go wrong? Or are you, are you giving all of your energy to um, thoughts about you know, what you need to do, what you can do, where you want to, how you can bring your best to that moment? So mm. um, that, that's to be best done as like prepare like it's often good to actually prepare for this like if there's a difficult situation that you expect to be in a lot you know if it's we're talking sport or anything like that you kind of can pre-program this stuff as like okay when i get to this situation this is how i'm gonna this is what i'm gonna say to myself this is what i'm gonna focus on yeah and you can train that so that it becomes accessible in the moment because when the moment comes sometimes it's hard to come up with the right thing so um practice it it's like a skill self-talk is a skill as we've said before it's the foundation for confidence and when you're in a difficult situation that's the time for um showing up with confidence and Mm. and betting on yourself and and trusting yourself to be who you want to be in that moment and trust yourself to respond to things as they unfold yeah, I think what you say about practicing it is so important. There's been times when I've gone into a race where I've I've trained my mind to be ready for particular moments and it's worked. It's like a, it's almost like an autopilot where I know I've practiced what I'm going to think when I start to feel um, intense pain and I'm leaning into it and I'm, you know, I'm ready. And the more the more you practice that, the more it does become a natural I guess, response to stress and to, to pressure. Mm. And like a final thought on the stress part of it is 
when you say difficult situation, if that is, you know, a, a situation that brings stress, then there's, there's how you interpret the situation makes a big difference. So if the situation is interpreted as like a threat, your stress response will take over and, and kind of get you to want to get out of there. Um, but it may be that the difficult challenge, the difficult situations you're talking about are actually challenges like opportunities that you might want to move toward. You're actually choosing to be in these situations for the, the, the growth that they bring. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, then really perceiving and, and, you know, viewing those situations as opportunities, like, yeah, bring it on. Like I want to move towards this. Like mm -hmm. there's something good can happen here. Um, this can help me. This can, this is important to me, you know? So if you, if you interpret those situations with that challenge lens of, you know, it's an opportunity, then that creates a slightly different stress response that actually helps you to perform well. Um, and, and it kind of helps your body rise to the challenge. So that's ideally what you want. If it is a chosen difficulty. I've got one last question for you, Rory. Had a few friends recently and is this myself, you talking? no, this is not, this is not me talking. I've got a question from a listener, uh, for you, Raw. I've had a few friends recently and myself four years ago that went through an end of a relationship and I'm really down about it. I've done my best in supporting my friends through this based on my own experience, but I would like your suggestions for supporting strategies, supportive strategies, as I've found that most people tend to go on the attack and think irrationally. Yeah. What a question. It's a good question. I like how you pointed that one straight to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's, it's really hard. Relationships is we've probably said a lot, like we're wired to connect and we're like, we're wired for relationships and, you know, good quality relationships involve vulnerability and trust. And when that, um, you know, when they, when they no longer work or when there's, um, when there's conflict in them, it's, you know, it can be, it's, it can be such a painful time. And so I think, you know, the, the best thing to begin with is just to create space to be with the people you care about, you know? Yeah. So if you are helping, if you're helping a friend through the situation, you know, it's creating the safe space for them to feel what they're feeling and to, um, to externalize what they're feeling, you know, and that space enables them to create space within themselves to, to process those feelings and to, and I say safe space because without that it's more likely that those, those emotions will, um, boil over and, and kind of create the type of conflict and the, and the, um, the less helpful, sort of, you know, more irrational sort of um, actions that you're referring to. So creating space for them to just to, to fully be, you know, fully feel how they're feeling and to, to express that. And, um, you know, and, and, and if, if you're across the room from them or on the other side of the phone from them and just giving a non-judgmental, um, compassionate, you know, um, listening here, that's, that's the best thing you can give someone mm. is just permission to feel what they're feeling mm. and, and to know that, Hey, like you're not what you're feeling, you know, like there's a difference between being angry and feeling anger, right? Like yeah, that you're as a person, you're not anger. Yeah. It's like you're experiencing it and you're experiencing it for a reason because 
you know, something doesn't feel fair and, you know, or if you're feeling um, really, you know, like sad and disappointed it's because something important to you is, is, is being lost or, or things like that. So it's just creating that space, non-judgmentally allowing a person to, to just express um, what's on their mind and, and then that will enable them to see their experience more clearly. That will enable them to kind of um, to access you know, the safety, the, mess- the more messages of safety they can feel just from, you know, your presence, mm. the more they'll be able to access, you know, the higher level thinking parts of the brain, you know, that are, um, that can go, those parts of the brain can kind of go offline a bit when we're hijacked by emotion. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so important to just keep, you know, creating those safe spaces um, for people. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think what you said, just to me, that just, just being a good listener and just being really present with someone. And, and also I think it's really important to, to keep the main idea of being their support person and being supportive to them rather than, um, I guess, attacking the person that they may have, um, that they may be angry at. Um, Cause I, I know that that's, that could be a, um, there's a tendency towards that as well in those conversations to, to fuel their anger. You don't want to fuel their anger. Um, you just want to listen and support them as much as you can. Totally. And, you know, like just to kind of reiterate, you know, like it's having that just unconditional positive regard mm. for the other person. It's yeah. like, you know, you, you, they may have done things that they're not proud of. And it's mm. like, you, when I say creating a safe space, it's like seeing them with positive regard and helping them to see themselves with positive regard so that, you know, so that they can be the person that they want to be and you know, and not, go down this sort of shame spiral, which yeah. is what happens so often. If you, you know, you do something that, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't right. Mm. Then the shame of that can kind of feed that kind of, um, defensiveness and, and ego as opposed to, um, separating, you know, your action, what you've done from who you are, you know, it's like everyone makes mistakes, mm. you know, and the more you help them understand that they're not defined by any mistakes they've made that, um, you know, they're, they're inherently, you know, they're inherently a good person, you know, that will help them access actions and thoughts and, you know, decisions that line up with the good in them, as opposed to, you know, those um, more defensive um, strategies that you alluded to in the question. So I hope that's helpful. It's a super, um, super complex one because relationships, you know, relationships are, and, um, but, yeah it's about see the best in people and and give them permission to feel what they're feeling i love that i love i love the notion of assuming well believing that everybody is inherently a good person yeah we are and we we all with that like we all have the capacity for um really virtuous kind of you know good actions and also you know we all have the capacity to do harm you know and and it's seeing that that's that's fundamental to being human mm-hmm. you know it's not like it's not a kind of totally good or bad and that's why viewing people with positive like unconditional positive regard that acknowledges the fact that they're capable of um you know being a great person independent of what they may have done mistakes they've made etc so yeah um 
and that you can help be a part of bringing that out of them more often. Yeah, it's good. We went real deep. Went deep there. So deep. Thanks. Um, thanks for your questions. And you know, they're, as always, they're really, um, really like thoughtful, challenging questions. And we really appreciate that. Um, just a little heads up about what is ahead. We have such an exciting episode next week. We do. Um, I'm so pumped. So pumped. Someone who has just achieved something amazing. And so we'll just leave that there for you as a little teaser. Um, and look forward to the episode next week. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks, guys. Bye.